Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. Before we begin the show, I wanted to let you know that our fall edition contest is now open for submissions. Our terrific guest judges, Katie McDougall and A.M. Malin, will be selecting the prose and poetry winners. More details about our judges, the rules, and how to submit your works can be found on our website at onyxpublications.com. The contest closes on Sunday, August 28th, and there is a $12.50 submission fee. We look forward to reading your amazing works. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Today's story is Neon Chick. Written by Ronley Blau and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. Neon Chick by Ronley Blau. On the last day of Billy's short life, she is lifted, pulled upward into the soft dark. Deline is visiting Ashram Gujarat again. She floats above a winding path through a lush grove of coconut trees. The faint sounds of chanting and gong-like bells grow incrementally louder, drawing her in. She inhales the stimulating scents of spiced doll and dense sweet jasmine with subtle undertones of urine and cow dung. Real, she thinks. As the ashram building comes into view, She is struck by the contrast of colors. The bright green landscape is dotted with rich pink and orange silk saris wrapped around the women, the men in long shirt-like hotikirtas. The color theme continues as she moves through the veranda and into the main sanctuary. Cushions in deep fuchsia and persimmon orange fill the wood floor hall and beautifully painted Hindu gods and goddesses adorn the walls. Inside, The aroma has changed to an intoxicating mixture of holy basil, frankincense, and human sweat. At the apex of the high ceiling is a large circular skylight. Angular beams of light stream down onto the sadhus as they gather into the room for meditation. The chanting is all around her now, and she instinctively adds her own voice to its rhythmic vibration. The distinction between sound inside and outside her body blurs. Something new is happening today. She can feel it. Yes, her mind is still jumbled. I want to paint my bedroom the color of this cushion. I'm actually getting the hang of this. Oh, yes. Thank you for this question, she is telling an imagined interviewer. I did start out spacey and fidgety, but now... I can sit for hours. But today, she is aware of these thoughts, noticing that they are happening constantly, 
like a little commentator living inside her brain. How did I not hear them before? Noodle, the lean's ten-year-old brother, clumsily leaps up the steps two at a time to his sister's bedroom. He bangs his fleshy fist on the door while yelling her name. With no response, heart racing, he throws open the forbidden door. Deline! Deline! His eyes adjust to the absurd scene. Deline, entangled with tech gear, straps, cords, headset, goggles, nose mask, resembles a modern Frankenstein. A repetitive, off-tune sound emanates from her mouth, the only visible organ, strikingly obscene in its uncovered state. Sporadically, she bows her head forward, hands together in front of her heart, her metallic-dyed highlights falling over the visor. Noodle waves his arms at her, frantic for her attention, but she is blinded by the virtual headgear. Finally, he jumps in front of her and grabs her arms. She tears off the headset, startled and exasperated. Noodle, what the F? What? She sees his fragile face fall and immediately regrets her tone. Don't you understand, kid? You can't just barge in here. I'm doing something important. And I'm really getting somewhere. I could become enlightened or something. Okay? So you gotta stay out of my room. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it's the chicks. They've hatched and we... we have a special. She frowns skeptically but follows him down the beige hemp-covered stairs and out to the coops. The ceaseless winds slapping the streaked hair into her face. She opens the lid and peers down into the chirping heap of downy fluff filling the nesting box. I don't see what you're talking about, Deline starts. But as she looks more closely, a spot of bright lime green within the brown and gray feathers grabs her attention. Is that a bug? It's a tiny chick, Deline. Noodle is grinning like a crazy boy. Deline peers at the tiny balls of fluff and gently scoots several sleeping chicks aside. There, in the midst of the moving, breathing clump of living feathers, is a distinct body. It is the smallest chick, only half the size of the others, and marked by a predominant patch of iridescent green on its downy tan feathers. Whoa, pretty cool, kid. I'm naming it Billy, he quickly replies. Obviously, Deline says. While they have become unfazed by the growing varieties of mutations, dogs without fur, cows with extra udders, cats with two tails, Deline is pleased that they have their own and is selfishly relieved, knowing her brother will be preoccupied with the special. Thank God he seems like his old self again, she thinks. Described by his teachers as marching to the beat of his own drum, Noodle had always been a happy kid eager to appease any arguments. This has been especially true in their family, where his surprise conception brought their separated parents briefly back together again. But two years later, the split became final, and, despite Noodle's cheerful disposition, he has had trouble making friends. He moves through an imaginative world with no talent for absorbing conformist traits, 
and this, coupled with the baby fat his body clings to, has made him an easy target for teasing and pranks. Early on, he made friends with Sally. Sally, with her large eyes, quiet, speedy voice, and tendency to communicate wildly with her arms. They became inseparable for several years, but their entwined friendship fueled obsessive teasing from the dominant kids. Eventually, Sally grew distant, and earlier in the year, she told him to please leave her alone. When he continued to seek her out and apologize for some imagined wrongdoing, her mother called his, asking that she please tell her son to let Sally have some space. So it's not a mystery why he's been glum all summer, Deline ponders. But her thoughts quickly turn back to the VR program, and impressing her professors through her dedicated efforts. While Noodle had just been a babe when their parents split, Deline had been ten and vividly recalls the fights ending with their mom peeling off in the car. Deline had laid sleepless in bed, praying, Please come back, please come back. But from then on, she had become little mama to Noodle, hoping to make things easier for her mom. Her fear of abandonment propelled her premature stint into mothering. Now, as an adult, Deline feels overburdened by the responsibility of watching her brother while her mom runs off, yet again, with a new lover on vacation. You'll just be on the programs anyway, Deline. Raising kids on my own has been so exhausting. I just need a little break, honey. She'd said, laying the guilt on thick. Stuck in the habit of placating her mom, Deline acquiesced. Audio posting on Talker in her newfound Zen voice. My brother needs me. I am called to meet this moment for my family. Deline had surprised herself by getting the prestigious internship at YUM, Youth Unity Mission. Their research on empathy had been well-funded after tribal gang violence erupted all over the country. But the first VR programs to promote empathetic unity, a refugee camp in Greece, a poverty-stricken village in Guatemala, and Mean Street Life, a first-hand glimpse into homelessness, were so unpopular commercially that YUM had shifted to researching more appealing VR experiences in their quest to promote connection and empathy in youth. Deline had hoped that by working with YUM, she would gain some clout in her college cohort. But the pleasant surprise had been that she actually enjoys the Ashram Gujarat program. In truth, she is feeling addicted, compelled to plug in as much as possible, detailing her progress with conscientious notes. Noodle has been a constant presence at the chicken coop since Billy's arrival. Today, he brings his notebook cricket crack chips, and a dandelion pop, keeping his eyes glued on Billy's small body. He makes notations like, at 1,400 hours, the special is sleeping. At 1,525 hours, the special is pecked by a sibling chick. Deline is being led in a breath meditation. After minutes, or maybe hours, her point of perspective shifts from observing her breath to being inside her breath expanding and retracting with her body's oscillating movements. She is no longer bored or tired. She notices her thoughts settling and a strange sensation of being ultra clean, like her mind has been scrubbed up bright. 
She moves across the big hall and through a bright rectangle of light at the doorway. Like entering a portal, she is suddenly surrounded by outdoor sense data in crisp technicolor. Her eyes adjust to the flower-covered pond and the lush green garden. Around the sparkling circle of water, a procession of graceful people heads toward her. A man stops just two feet in front of her. He must be the Dalai Lama, she thinks. His eyes are filled with benevolence, and she releases, an unnoticed until then, feeling of shame and embarrassment. In his gaze, she is forgiven, accepted. There is a congruent unclenching in a deep layer of her body, and relief floods her neural tributaries, leaving her washed in expansive wonder. A petite woman approaches next, her clear brown eyes emanating a motherly hug she's always dreamed of. She hears a whispered voice in the background. It's Deepama. The long line of mesmerizing monks and nuns continues, warmth shining through their eyes, the most beautiful eyes she's ever, she feels like she's floating, embraced by limitless care. Face after face, seemingly unending, appear before her, each looking at her knowingly with pure acceptance. Tears are streaming down her face now as she feels herself melting, belonging, the low-grade persistent anxiety loosening for the first time since her parents split. Noodle sucks in his breath at the pop of bright red against the special's neon green feathers, confirming his worry that she will be pecked to death. He gets right to work setting up an old lamp over a plastic bin filled with scavenged plant debris, and in the early morning light, carefully places Billy into his shirt pocket before taking her to his room. There, he tucks Billy into her new home under the lamp's heat. He falls back asleep watching Billy's tiny body rapidly rise and fall with each breath and feels a joy he hasn't felt since last summer when he and Sally would lie on their backs, their voices forming one continuous sentence, creating stories in the clouds. On the 14th day of Billy's short life, she senses her first world again, and it's moving air, grassy scent, and in the distance, the cheap, cheap sounds of the other chicks that hurt. She finds places in the dirt to move the little pushers below herself, extracting tiny moving things to eat. She rediscovers the old nesting spot with the few stray feathers left behind, but the clump of moving collective warmth is gone. She is alone. Then, a loud squawk breaks through the natural orchestra of sounds, a deep, familiar calling. Billy feels a fluttering of air before seeing the white blur of feathers descend from the sky, landing near her. It is a large version of herself. Deline is noticing her mind dropping into the clear, elevated state of concentration sooner and sooner through Ashram Gujarat VR. She feels like she is on the verge of something, a radical shift of some kind. The beginning of the program is predictable to her now. The sensual arriving, the drop into the soothing and rhythmic chanting, followed by the meeting of awakened beings. 
As her level increases, allowing her to go further into the program, she feels the softening of her protective stance, a tender sensitivity brewing. Now, she is practicing quiet moments of meditation interspersed by a guided session. In this round, the teacher leads her through sensations and objects to notice. A flower, the body breathing, sounds of chanting, heat, her thinking, a painting. There is a fragmenting of her reality, like the slowing down of a flipbook movie and seeing that it is made up of distinct pictures. Each moment flashes by in quick bursts, forming a stream of information. She is soft and open, now letting herself flow into the stream. Who are you? The guided voice asks, and then for a few seconds, the burden of holding herself together releases. Energy shoots through her as she joins the throngs of sadhus and seekers on the pilgrimage out of the ashram and out to the sea. She is elated, high on humanity. Noodle is jolted into a run as he sees that the full-grown hen, Gladys, has gotten into the separated coop area with Billy. Gladys is an unusual all-white variety of the Americana breed with its typical small beak and docile nature. Even so, his instinct is to swoop Billy up and protect her as he steps over the electric fence, tromping over the thinly grassed area around the coop. Gladys charges at him, sounding a protective chicken alarm. Noodle makes his usual cooing sounds and Gladys quiets, allowing him to pick her up and stroke the back of her neck. He hands Gladys back to the dirt and watches, delighted by the odd little duo, a full-grown white hen with her little neon sidekick. They search the ground for food, their small Jurassic claws pushing back dirt like speed skaters pressing back ice. Billy follows Gladys everywhere, and Gladys seems content in her role as protector. Over the next few days, Gladys adds a new vocalization to her repertoire. A strained mimic rooster call. You two are the best chickens in the whole world, Noodle says as he scoops a handful of dried worms to throw their way. They follow him around as he drops an occasional chicken snack in the dirt, his laugh merging with their sunny chirps and squawks. He spontaneously composes a song about a neon green chick and a brave white hen. On the 16th day of Billy's short life, she is content. Big me is all around. I hide in her body when sounds are loud. I sleep next to her when we become statues in the dark. I follow Big Me. She is the way. Food, safety, life. Noodle spends his days lying in the grass next to them, knowing his presence protects them and gives them ease. He marches around the perimeter of the coop with the air of a heroic guard. On duty, he salutes an ambassador from a faraway star behind the bushes. He speaks to his feathered friends in a conspiratorial tone. You are a special sent from the planet Miram, he tells Billy. Don't worry, I'm here to keep you safe. And Gladys, well, you are just about perfect. 
Deline plugs quickly into the ashram VR. The olfactory mask is working well today, she notes. The ratio of pleasant and unpleasant scents mixed nicely. The chanting begins, and she feels into the familiar state of clarity and calm. She anticipates the parade of enlightened eyes meeting hers, knowing the order of their arrival. Here comes the feeling of belonging, she thinks, and she waits to slip into the bliss like a drug. Only wait, are they really meeting my eyes? Do they see me? A seed of doubt finds its hold. They don't really see me. This is just an illusion. She feels a wave of anxiety as the program moves on to a teaching on non-self. In it, each aspect of the body is named by a calm, clear, surround-sound voice, and then a few moments later, Is this you? Teeth. Is this you? Eyes. Is this you? On and on, the calm, even voice is asking, asking. Ears. Is this you? Hearing. Is this you? Where am I? She thinks. And then for a brief moment, she sees herself from the outside. She sees the jumbled thoughts making up her fears. Fears of being left, unwanted, and unchosen. Hair. Is this you? Gallbladder. Is this you? Yes, that is my stupid hair, my ugly face, my average body. She observes the shallow concerns about being admired, liked, the way she covers up her worries by putting others down. Why don't people seem to like me? Even my unintelligent classmates are more popular. These thoughts are clinging around her now in an endless neurotic loop. Bones. Is this you? Skin. Is this you? She sees all her ideas about herself coalesced into this unappealing body called the lean. She drops into sobering disappointment. She doesn't like this Deline. She had thought the program would change her, make her better, more confident, perhaps full of goodness. Stomach, is this you? Is this me? Who am I? Oh, she gasps. Maybe this is it. Maybe I am supposed to be lost. They called it no self, didn't they? I must be doing it. Blood. Is this you? Heart. Is this you? Maybe they will move me up through the YUM hierarchy when they see how well I'm doing in the program. This will prove I have something to offer. The self-congratulatory thoughts get louder, begin to take hold and gain momentum. Head. Is this you? My peers will want to know me. She is lost in the vain conceits, an overpowering sensation of density in her forehead. Thoughts. Is this you? I just need to get back there. Back to Deep Palma. If I can just get back to the feeling of belonging, of being good. Anxiety has enveloped her again. 
She is desperately grasping for a way to return. Feelings. Is this you? Stop asking me! She screams. She tries desperately to remember the kind eyes, the blissful spreading out sensation that has flown away. It feels like her brain is pushing against her forehead, trying to break free. When she hears a faint sound in the background, a subterranean signal from the real world. On some level, she knows the faraway sound is Noodle. He sounds part animal, part human, like the sound of a coyote drunk with longing. She chooses to ignore it. He is not going to ruin the session. I need to get back there. I need to feel good. She turns up the volume on her headset. Noodle knows there is trouble an instant before registering the sound. The call, composed with rhythmic urgency, is an intuitive alarm in any language. Gladys! He runs out of the house and out of the coop. In the perimeter of his vision, he catches a hawk descend, breaking open the blue sky. It swoops down toward the coop, then lifts back up with the glint of pale green amidst its large black body. He can hear the wide pulse of the hawk's wings, pushing itself through space and into a dark, tiny dot. Gone! His wailing voice joins Gladys's haunting, repetitive calls as he collapses onto the ground, pooling up with pain. On the last day of Billy's short life, the dusk softly coats the shapes of her world. Push dirt, find food. Push dirt, find... Big Me is squawking. Push dirt, Big Me is breaking herself with her sound. Run, run, run! A quick flicker of light, then the sky goes dark as large wings surround her. Billy is lifted, pulled upward into the soft dark, flying. Below, she sees the white shape of Gladys getting smaller and smaller, her persistent cry now joined by the otherworldly screams of the giant boy. Pain everywhere. Big me, boy me, feathers, fading light, air, inside, outside, there is no difference. You've just listened to Neon Chick by Ronley Blau, and we have Ronley on the show today to talk about this work and writing life in general. So welcome to the show, Ronley. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you on. And as always, I am here with our co-host, Melissa Collings. Welcome, Melissa. Hello, listeners. <laughs> Great. All right, Ronley, well, let's get right into the meat of it. So one of the first things we do when we get started is have you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your path to writing or whatever you'd like us to know. Okay. Um, well, I live on a beautiful island in the Pacific Northwest, which is about a 20-minute ferry ride from Seattle. Hmm. And I've raised two amazing daughters here that are now young women. Great. And my first passion was dance. I started out as a professional dancer in Los Angeles, um, did that for a few years, had dropped out of 
college, I was studying biology at UCLA, but I had this passion to dance. Um, and then I moved to Seattle and switched from jazz dancing to contemporary dance and danced in Seattle for many years, working with wow. choreographers and, and yeah, right. and doing my own work and choreographing and then moved to Vashon where I raised my kids and started teaching yoga, which I've been doing now for 22 years. And about uh, 15, 16 years ago, I um, added in meditation and Ayurveda for my own well-being, and it became incorporated into my practice as a teacher as well. Um, mm. Yeah, and so most of the writing that I, I'd been doing until fairly recently was around Ayurveda and yoga for my website and a blog and a newsletter. And then uh, in 2016, I co-authored a book on Ayurvedic cleansing with my co-writer, Adrian Nolan. And um, yeah, and we self-published that. And I should just mention, because I know it's not super common, but Ayurveda is the, is, uh, the ancient healing system from India, like the traditional healing system. It's very nature-based. It's often considered like the sister science to yoga. Um, mm. So it might look like something like if you saw an Ayurvedic doctor or an Ayurvedic practitioner in the West, you might get a prescription that has lifestyle changes, diet changes, but you also might get a couple yoga poses in there too. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe some herbs, you know, but it's very non-invasive and um, nature-based. I love so, that so yeah, much. Yeah, that has been, a, since I stopped practicing medicine to be with my kids, I have found that naturopathy, isn't that how you say it? Um, the more natural side of medicine and it's yeah. amazing. And it's funny when I saw that in your profile, I was struck because just recently in my newsletter, it has it has a little medical component to it because a part of me, a big part of me is medicine mm. as a physician assistant. But I wrote about ashwagandha and actually oh, learned awesome. about um, yeah. Ayurvedic. I know I'm not going to say it right. Medicine. It's okay. Yeah. Um, I I know I've seen the I've seen it online. You know the words, but um, yeah. I just find that so fascinating, and I fell in love with that, and and recommended the ashwagandha because it's um, such a neat herb and, and trusted, tried through clinical trials even. Yeah. So I think that's fascinating that you do that, and maybe we can circle back here in a little while and talk about that a little bit more because it's fascinating, and I think it's such an up and coming thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um... You know, I was really just writing in that world until the pandemic. And I have a feeling a lot of people maybe started writing during that time. But I also had another job at an art center on the island and I was temporarily laid off. And I, I had a and my, my teaching had cut back quite a bit early in the pandemic. I wasn't doing retreats and other things that I normally do with mm. yoga teaching. Um, and I had a lot of time and I just felt this imperative to write like just stories were streaming out um uh, a lot of a lot of memoir and memories and poetry and ideas it was all fragmented there was no rhyme or reason and i was just starting to make connections make connections in the writing and get excited about it and that's when i got my job back <laughs> at yeah. the art center ruined but, everything yeah ruined everything <laughs> but you know needed the income um and so i went back but it was definitely an itch you know i kept feeling and i didn't i i really kind of dropped it i felt like i got too busy and it it yeah. got it got left behind but it was bothering me and then i took a um a, sh a short workshop 
almost about a year ago, it was a maybe four-week workshop on memoir writing with Shauna Ahern. I don't know if you know her, but she wrote a beautiful memoir called um, Enough. And that name I just, sounds very familiar. Yeah, it's a great memoir. And I, I just loved it. And it got me excited in a, in a new way that I hadn't mm. um, discovered as an adult. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. And then so I decided to quit my job at the Art Center <laughs> about ah. a month later and um, just put more time into the writing. So last fall, I took another workshop that was just on any, any kind of writing you want to do. And I explored fiction for the first time since I was a kid. And so that's been really a fun discovery. Wow, that's great. So is this yeah. one of your first fiction pieces? It really is, yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Well, there's a lot to talk about um, with your background. So tell us about this piece a little bit. Was Is there any kind of real life? That, I was just curious, you know, did you grow up on a farm or something? Is, is there any inspiration from your real life, from your life in this? Or just tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, that's what's really fun about fiction is I just find it so fascinating how you how you puzzle together things to create yeah. a story. Um, so initially, I actually had a dream image about having a tiny, tiny little green chicken that was, you know, insect size. And I've actually had a lot of, <laughs> of recurring <laughs> dreams. I've actually, you might relate to this, Melissa, of having a tiny baby, like a really miniature baby. Um, and this has come up and I find it compelling because in these dreams, it's there's such a need to be incredibly sensitive yeah. and careful and mindful about caring for that kind of a being. So yeah. I'm always, I always wake up like, whoa, you know, this is interesting. So I had carried that idea and I wanted to create a character that would be so sensitive and empathetic to have that, to care for that being. And that's one, how one of the characters came in, came to life. And then the other pieces, I think a couple of years ago, I was just listening to the radio and they were talking about virtual reality and something about that conversation really stuck in my head as they, they were speaking about the possible benefits and talking about how it could be used to develop empathy. And I thought that was mm. intriguing mm. and it kind of just stayed in my head. So when I started writing and writing the piece, that came up again as a um, a way to bring in a contrasting character yeah. who was trying to be, you know, this very Im improve herself, right, um, and be yes. more connected and empathetic. And then, um, let's see, real life. I didn't grow up on a farm at all, but you know, living <laughs> living on Vashon Island, we did get chickens. So we did have chickens for eight years, and. Um, you know, it's surprising how charismatic they are. Huh. They really do. You know, you, if you talk to people who have raised chickens, they'll tell you how much personality ha they have. But every once in a while in the eight years, there would be a couple chickens, maybe, you know, just two that would form in an incredible bond. And they would Aww. be, yeah, and, it, and they really couldn't live without the other. And it's oh, true. So there's, I always say there's nothing sadder and more lonely than one chicken. And they don't survive. They literally, literally, they will only survive days by themselves. Really, um, wow. out of that loneliness. Yeah. So, so there was definitely some of that in there. And um, what else is from real life? Just the meditation piece and the yeah, the, yeah, the concept. You know, I've been meditating for seventeen years, and I find it very fascinating 
the uh, pitfalls and detours that can happen as you're working and um, working <laughs> as you're you know exploring <laughs> meditation. Yes. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to get that in there. Yeah. Well, a thing I like about that, which was the juxtaposition of sort of this mindful inwardness with the contraptions, you know, of the VR. I thought that was so virtual reality. I thought it was like so, what a creative idea. Yes. You know? Thank you. Yeah. I like it too. And the descriptions, you know, you really feel like you're there. I yeah. love how you describe things. You really put the reader in the space of the the characters and the yeah. story. Yeah. Great. That's really cool. Okay, so let's talk about Ayurveda a little bit. I Googled it, and actually there's a John Hopkins has a John Hopkins Medical Center, has a whole little, I don't know if it's a blog or whatever, it's just mm. you know, kind of telling us about it, and you pretty much summarized it pretty well. But how does that and your yoga, and I guess the dance too, but maybe it's a separate question, how does all that impact what you write about and the way you write? That That's a good question. Actually... I don't know that the Ayurveda, well, yeah, okay, I changed my mind. So an interesting thing about Ayurveda, and I'll just talk a tiny bit about it, is that it's really um, a system that shows how interconnected we are. So for instance, whatever you eat, if you eat an apple, you know, you say this is an apple and this is my body, at a certain point as you're digesting it, it becomes less and less apple and more and more you. Oh. And that concept and that quality of that apple becomes part of the quality of your system. It becomes part of your tissues of it eventually. And so that is the, the lens which you're looking at life. So I guess that is something that's coming up in the writing that I am noticing that I'm very mm. interested and fascinated by the, those connections and and the the difference when we feel disconnected and separate and lonely and um yeah i guess that's how i see that that piece coming in and the meditation is just so much for my own grounding and clarity of being that um I guess it's going to seep in, you know, as you can see from that that piece. <laughs> but I think it's actually, you know, really for my own um, uh, centering and gathering and collecting myself so that I can write. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's lovely. And I think the way you described this alternative you know, form of medicine, old form of medicine, and I said it was up and coming because I feel like it has it, ancient medicine. I feel like part of that is coming back into our culture a little bit more these mm-hmm. days. And you can speak to that a little bit. But something that you said, re- eating that apple and the apple slowly becoming a part of you and less an apple. And I think the information that we take in as far as our writing, you know, you're taking these classes, you're reading other people's work, mm-hmm. all of those stuff. Those are things you're taking in mm-hmm. and they slowly mm-hmm. become a part of you Yeah, in that way as well. And it changes it it changes formats you know but they're affecting you just like that apple affects your health those things that you take in um just by your mind and the things Mm -hmm. that you're learning the things that you experience the dreams that you have those things become a part of you and and create those stories so i think that's a really cool parallel and how you you are using that and how everything is so interconnected and that's been a huge 
a huge part of life that I've explored recently is how health, there is the health of your mind, the health of your body, the, your spiritual health, and kind of what you're talking about, they're really all interconnected. And each yeah. of those things need to be tended to for you to be a healthy and whole person. Yeah. And I think that affects the writing as well. Mm -hmm. I and love how you perfect. put that, Melissa. That's beautiful. And, you know, especially as a writer, if, if you're creating, like you said, whatever you're exposing your mind to is yes. going to inform the kind of things that you're going to be um, imagining and dreaming about yes. and creating. And so, yeah, um, yes. we have to be careful about <laughs> what yes. we actually expose ourselves to. We too. do, because yeah. oh, you never know what, interesting. Yeah, yeah, how you're yeah. going to see that information again yeah. you know, after you've processed it, even subconsciously. Right. Yeah. But it's also a good thing is to expose yourself to a lot of things yeah. so that you you really can work through that and, and have a varied writing world as True. well. True. <laughs> so I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, and that ties in to me anyway. The beginning and ending of the story is that whole circular. It's sort of like the birth of yeah. this chick mm -hmm. and the death. It's and, just a nice opening and closing. Yeah. Isn't right. It? All kind of ties together. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah death as a part of life um, exactly yeah life. yeah yeah it was fun to bring that that voice in of the animal because um it wasn't in there at first and that <laughs> that that changed it for myself yeah. I realized that character voice bringing that in brought in that brought in kind of a bigger teaching or a bigger yes um, world Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you get a different perspective. Yeah, you get, you get a the different human perspective, perspective and then the non-human yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always a little presumptuous when you're translating chicken into English, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Taking a few liberties. Yeah, taking some yeah. liberties there. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I, I actually, I, I have a in one of my chapters in this book that I've been working on. I have a dog, and you, you have the dog's mm. perspective. It's only in there for a, a short oh, little yeah. bit. Oh yeah. But. Um, Fun. Yeah, it is kind of, is, you're kind of weird. Like, what would the dog think? <laughs> and what would they see? Yeah. I think it is so great to do that, to think in the perspectives of something that's not human. I had a writing friend at one point. I was reading one of his short stories, and one of my favorite short stories that he wrote was about a banana. It wasn't about a banana. It was from the perspective of a banana. And <laughs> yeah. you think it sounds ridiculous, it but does, it was but I fantastic. It. I just thought this, this, I love this. Wow, yeah. that's cool. Neat. What's it? What was it called? Do you remember the uh, name? Yeah, the title? I, have, oh. I do not remember at okay. all. But sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sounds terrifying, actually, to be the banana. But yes. Yes. I know exactly <laughs> yeah, the life of a banana. Yeah. I, now I look at bananas a little bit differently when I eat them. After <laughs> <Yes>. that. <laughs> uh, we could go bananas here, but I won't. Yeah, we could. Uh, all right. So I guess I have so many questions based on, you know, sort of the background information you sent us. And I always am curious to talk about the self-publishing world, mm -hmm. but I'm okay if you prefer not to talk about that and rather talk about other things related to writing. So would you mind telling us about your self-publishing experience? Kind of what was that was like? Sure. Um, you know, it was actually great because I had a writing partner and she had self-published. Mm. Um, and so she really knew that world and how to do that. She did all the formatting. So it was great for me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. and it was, but it was really nice to have actually a writing partner. Um, I don't yes. know that I would have been as disciplined. Um, you know, we had, we had specific meetings where we would decide, you know, you're going to work on this section. I'm going to work on this section. And we felt we were accountable to each other to get it yes. done. 
So it really kept things clipping along and we could edit each other. And so I liked that piece of it and that freedom. I do think the realization that we had afterwards was it was really hard to get it reviewed. A lot of mm. um, journals that it would have been nice to have the book reviewed in don't review books that are self-published. So it was a little harder to get the word out, I think. Interesting, um, yeah. Yeah, so huh. pros and cons. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, and was this on, is that book on the Ayurveda also part yeah, of it? Yeah, it, 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 the book is on an Ayurvedic home cleanse, um, which I'd been leading groups for 10 years before writing yeah. the book. Yeah. Okay, cool. Home cleanse. Cleaning, yeah. like cleaning your home no, and your space? No, or? no, meaning that you would do this physical oh, health I see. Okay. cleanse at that's, home. Because that's what I was originally thinking. Yeah, but. yeah traditionally it was done, um, it's called Panchakarma, and it was done with clinicians. In a, and you were actually you know, in a retreat setting away from all your responsibilities and work and taken care of. So to mimic that at home is, is a little... Um, challenging, Ooh, challenging but yeah. yeah yes hmm. I like that you have to find ways to incorporate that in your daily life though or you'll avoid it yeah. I recently did um, through church a retreat in daily life mm -hmm. and it was based on something similar where it was mm -hmm. originally where somebody would go away for weeks at a time to really better themselves and to do you know the meditation and things like that but this was adapted for home Mm -hmm. And I think mm. that's really important for you to, yeah. because you, it's not realistic for everybody exactly. to go, yeah. but to have those same experiences at yeah. home, I think is really invaluable. So I find that very yeah. interesting yeah. that you did this. So yeah. how, how long have you been in this mindset previously? Were you, when did you discover this and how did that change your lifestyle? Um, well, let's see. Like, I think, I think it was about 16 years ago that I discovered Ayurveda and it was through my own health struggles. Yes. So I think we often find those <laughs> alternative uh -huh. um, yes. things when we've tried everything else. So I've been, true. yeah, I'd been chronically sick for about um, eight years, a long time with sinusitis, chronic sinusitis, and it was very debilitating. And so, you know, I had discovered yoga. So you learn about Ayurveda when you study yoga, being yeah. that it's a sister science and they share the same philosophy. And it worked, <laughs> you it know, worked so you. that was what, you know, that combined with meditation. And when I say it worked, I shouldn't just say that so quickly because it's not quick. You know, that's right. the thing mm. about these natural medicines and it's lifestyle changes and diet changes and all these things that take a lot of time. Yes. But I knew it was working. And so I kept going. Yeah, yeah, I could feel it. And uh, so then I got very fascinated by how this was working. Um, and uh, yeah. So now it's I'm not practicing it as, as much. It's just more integrated into my personal well-being. But also it's integrated into my yoga teaching. And like I said, my, it's changed my perspective on how everything is connected and how we're yeah. all so connected. Um, I love that. Yeah. yeah, very cool. Yes, it's been my life these past few months, really studying it. And I just find it fascinating. It's not something that everybody gets their hands on these days or wrap yeah. their minds around. And it's so yeah. funny that it, it was just not that long ago that this was commonplace, that this was the standard. And then we, yeah. we changed and... Mm -hmm. 
modern medicine kind of took over. And there are so many great things about modern medicine, but I realized mm-hmm. that there are so many great ancient techniques yeah. that we yeah. have left behind and how it, it's fascinating to me that we can so easily forget those things. I think it's part of that shortcut mentality. You know, yeah. we want we want quick results. You're so and, right. You mm. know, and that's why it's not appealing to a lot of people when you tell them you have, you know, to really get to see this change in your system. It might require months and months <laughs> yes. of, of real change that might be difficult. And, uh, and yes, yeah. and sometimes you don't see those changes. And when you don't see yeah. them, it's really hard to stick with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, to relate that to writing, it's like editing a manuscript or editing Absolutely. something, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it takes a long time. And to get your end product to be the best it can be, to be, you know, mm-hmm. win that contest, to mm-hmm. get in that magazine, to, you know, be published by a publisher or to self-publish, you go through all of these steps. And it's mm-hmm. a stepwise process. It takes a long time and it takes a lot of work. And sometimes you think it's it's hopeless but you get there. And so it's, it's all these parallels in life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. And that's actually something that I've learned from this experience of starting to write fiction because yes, I, I think that the, the early draft of fiction, at least my experience is a lot worse than the first draft of nonfiction. Um, I I can see how that would be. Right. Because you, you know, you Theoretically, if you're writing about something, you, you have some knowledge and you've done some right. research mm-hmm. and you know where it's going. So you yeah. can even be kind of editing as you're writing. Yeah. But with the fiction, I mean, for me, it's like the first draft is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and it's OK. Like now I'm learning that's OK, because, yes, the, the, like you said, it's a process. And I, I find that process actually really interesting. Yes. Like, like, why is it not working right there? And you know, why do I find that corny right there? And how can I change that or whatever yes, it is that's right. bothering you? Yeah. yeah. It's fun. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because I was recently thinking about how writing is, it's basically a skill like dance or painting or playing an instrument or something. In other words, everybody sees it. It looks so easy. And you mm-hmm. think, I don't know why on the writing side, everybody thinks I can do it. You know what I mean? But yeah. I mean, you can but not you won't play an instrument the first day you pick it up, right? Like you know, there's, yeah. there's a long process you have to go through. Same yeah. with dance and all that stuff. Like you have to yeah. invest that time yeah. into getting the skill, and it's a learning process. You do, so, yeah. You that is through. interesting. That for some reason, writing you would think, okay, I think it's because it's like everyone has access, or not everyone, but most beings have access to that. Right. I, you know, it is a lot harder to okay, now I have to find dancers and studio space and, uh, you know, all of that. But you're right. Why wouldn't it take immense yeah, effort? Effort, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I think, and I guess a good analogy would be, I mean, yeah, you could paint a house, but is it going to look like the one, what you want it to look like on that first go? No. You know what I mean? Right. Like it'll yeah. it'll have yeah. walls and a roof or whatever, but it's going to be very basic. And I think that's something that a lot of writers have to struggle with when they're first starting out. But the point is, yeah. you got to keep at it. You do. And you have to be uh, you have to be open to listening to other people because that first draft, mm. when you finish it, you think it is so good. You think <laughs> it looks a whole lot better than it actually does. A friend of mine sent me this video. I think it was a Facebook video of this girl, professional dancer. Speaking of dance, she looked amazing. And then mm. underneath there was the caption of what I think I look like when I'm dancing. So you see how she's beautifully dancing, and then you see 
the opposite of this person who's actually dancing. It's older woman, and she looks like you know Elaine on Seinfeld. Oh my gosh! Yeah, 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 the dancing. (laughs) So she looks like that, and she (laughs) thinks she looks like this masterpiece dancing on stage. Like I am ready for you know the productions, (laughs) but really in reality, she doesn't look like that. So it's it's a it's a time, it's self-awareness and being open mm-hmm. to yeah. change and having when somebody reads that work and you may see it and be like, well, this is garbage. But sometimes it takes developing those skills to realize that your own writing, it's like it's like your children, you know, mm-hmm. you think your children are the, the best looking thing ever, but you don't really know if they are because they're yours. Somebody else thinks their children is right. So um not cool. to say, you know, I, I truly have the most beautiful They are the most beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they are. I can imagine that they are. I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so it, it takes time and, mm-hmm. and being open to admitting that you might be wrong mm-hmm. in the first draft. But it yeah. takes that sticking to it, just like with medicine. You know, if you want to be, mm-hmm. if you have a goal, you have to work toward that goal. And you have to be willing to put the time and the effort. You have to be willing to change when you're wrong. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm I'm waxing philosophical, all right. so I'll stop. <laughs> well, so which and you are somewhat new to the fiction side of writing, right? So, what have yeah. you found any big differences in how you approach it, mm-hmm. and or what's more challenging? What's you know whatever you found to be particularly challenging in writing fiction versus nonfiction. Mm. Well, you know, it's still pretty new, but I I am I was very surprised and I am still surprised how how hard fiction is actually. I think mm-hmm. um it's really easy to get caught up in and this comes back to what we were talking about Melissa with like all the information you take in and yes. you know, we have so many stories. Yeah. We have yep. gathered so many stories and then and it's so easy to fall into some cliche or some pattern, but the approach is very different again because there's so much uh, unknown with at least in the process that I'm noticing so far when I'm writing fiction it's a lot of mystery and that feels it feels you know super courageous and adventurous and um, so I'm approaching it from a lot less preconceived um, ideas mm-hmm. And also, you know, the big difference is, you know, you're writing through the lens of a character or maybe many characters, um, not just your own ideas about a particular subject. And I find it that really fun. It's like acting, you know, yeah. like you're, right? Right. You're putting mm-hmm. on an, you're, you're really trying to imagine what it would be like to be this person and how they speak right. and how they see things. That's very different from writing nonfiction. So definitely that process is very different. But I also think it's interesting how there is a similar feel once you're in it, that, um, that, that, that real desire to get as close as you can to the truth, to the truth Mm. of the character or the truth of what you want to convey. And that desire, that real desire for the truth is in both styles that I really enjoy. Like cool. that. Yeah, yeah. So does that mean you're a discovery writer then? So you you don't have it all mapped out. You're just sort of you have an idea mm-hmm. and you go. Um, yeah, I would say, I mean, I think, I'm, you know, of course, you probably do. Most people do a little bit of both. But mm-hmm. I would say more on the discovery end, um, especially as the more I'm doing it, because I am trusting something about that. I am noticing that when I know what's going to happen, um, it's 
less exciting. Hmm. And probably the reader, probably <laughs> yeah. the reader knows too. And right. so I, I'm really trying to stay open. And this comes back to the openness to surprise myself. And whenever I do it, that's when I get excited. You know, when you feel uh, that energy yeah. come up in your writing. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. I okay. I just found out that this happened. Yeah. 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 I had no idea. Yeah. And um, that's, so I'm trusting (laughs) that more and more. And also just to kind of uh, let, let the imagination go. Like it's okay to be that. That's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. To just, okay. That, that idea that sounds just, you know, wild. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of yes, you know, in that, in that fiction writing, like, yes. That's great. I like yeah. that. Yeah, for me, it's like watching a movie sometimes. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm writing it. And then the character <laughs> yeah. does something, and you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. But, you know, you just yeah. kind of keep on going. Yeah. Yes. It's fun. I love that. That is the that is one of the best parts of writing. And then you, you get sucked in, and you have to keep going, because you have to find out what happens yourself. <laughs> right. Like, I, yeah, I've got yeah. to find yeah. out. Leave me alone. Yeah, it's motivating to keep writing. It is. Oh, definitely. So All right. I'm always, oh, Go ahead. No. I know we're running out of time, but I'm always curious if before we can get to the last question. Yeah, of course, fine. Um, what do you like to read? Because mm-hmm. I don't see in this like a specific genre. Mm-hmm. So now I'm curious. Do you read mm-hmm. genre fiction or what does your bookshelf yeah. hold? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I love reading, period. So I Excellent. will read pretty much anything. As my husband <laughs> says, I eat books. So, oh, I love um, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do read a lot of different things, but I would say my favorite types of uh, writing are, I love a good memoir, I have to say, but I also really love fiction that has a surreal element. Um, mm. I love Jasmine Ward. I love um, Murakami. I want there to be something that's unusual, you know, a little bit yeah. tweaking the usual reality is fun for me. Yeah. Yeah, but that's I- interesting because I thought this piece so... Yeah, because to me, this is almost a little bit science fiction-y. Well, first of all, you've got the VR element that's more, way more advanced than obviously we are at this point. And then mm-hmm. also these creatures that appear to be being born with defects that's happening all over the place. Like, they, they want that to happen to them, sort of, as I remember in the story. And they were excited to have their own special. So I guess just tell us a bit about that. Well, that's funny because I that's probably the genre I read the least. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, what does that mean? Be... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's speculative, right? It's like near near future, which, yeah, I guess I do read stuff that's like that, but maybe not so pure sci-fi. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that's just fun because you can imagine whatever you want. Right. Um, and I, li- I, I love George Saunders' short stories, and he does a lot of that in there, too. Uh, you know, he's amazing, right? And I, I really appreciate when I'm I'm reading his work, and it's a, a little slightly different world. You know, we're not right. quite in the same. It's not necessarily the future or the past, but just a slightly altered reality. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. how you saw this world then. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, the piece has that feel. I mean, the way you start, you're not sure where you are. You don't have yeah. a, you know, a strong realist footing just yet. So I, I was thinking mm-hmm. it's kind of like the difference between a realist painting and a surrealist painting. Yeah. The realist, mm. you know, you know what you're looking at. Surreal. There's like a story behind it. You're not getting yeah. the exact the exact picture. So you take a few liberties and you kind of it takes a little bit of time to get grounded, but yeah. it's really cool when you do. So it's an out of the box piece. And I like Ooh. that. I think it's really fun. Mm, yeah. yeah very cool I can see that all right well believe it or not we are already 
coming up on time here. So we always end. Well, oh, wait, I do have another question I want to ask. So I added this to our list because I really enjoyed it from a previous interview, which is, do you remember the first book that made you cry? Mm. Uh, Yeah, I love that you're asking that because um, I hadn't thought about it. Um, It was The Secret Garden. Because um, oh. I think that I think that was the first book, like real book that wasn't a story, you know, picture book that I read. And I was so moved. And what I love about that you brought this memory back to me <laughs> is that it actually woke up this this whole idea of reading that you could. I felt like I, you know, I don't know if this is going to age me, but do you guys know Gumby? That oh, yeah. series oh, yeah. and how he'd walk in a book and then he was in that world. That's how I was in that book, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, this is this is reading. So I was so hooked Aww. after that book. So, oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, I yeah. Like oh, good yeah. to know. All right. Well, now we'll get to the end question, which is yeah. any writing advice or tips, resources, whatever you want to pass on to aspiring writers that listen and or curious listeners. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm new at this myself, but um, so the advice that I've I've taken on that I think has been is great advice. One is to go deeper, like look for why of the why, like, why are you writing this, but then look even underneath that. Hmm. And, and then also, and I I think I read this from George Saunders somewhere, but to, to really, to just let yourself go, let your imagination be wild and courageous and, and bring in anything that you want and surprise yourself. Like yeah. keep, to yeah. keep it, keep it fresh and keep it alive. Yeah. yeah. Give yourself permission to. Yeah, explore. giving yourself permission. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. Because that you can great. always edit later, but I think it's nice to give yourself that free reign, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You yeah. never know what treasures you'll find in that in right. that permission granting. Right. This yeah. is amazing because I don't think we've had a repeat yet on any advice. I was thinking that. Blowing I was blowing my mind when, here. When you, between the, the pause, between the question and her answer, I was like, okay, is this going to be the day? Is this going to be the one? I, know, I was kind of out? wondering that too. <laughs> this is like it's our 36th show or something and no one Great. has repeated anything. Oh, good. I'm glad pretty, I didn't repeat. I know. Well, it's kind of, you know. <laughs> you were not the one. Maybe, maybe yeah. what happens is when we get that repeat, then we change up that last question. Yeah. Exactly. And we're just going to shame <laughs> yeah. that person. Be like, we have already had this. Oh the my gosh. Already- <laughs> Can you not be more original? please <laughs> no we would never oh, do that well, Ron Lee I could keep asking you questions I think you're very fascinating and uh, so it's, it's sad that the interview is over but it has been a delight thank you so much for sharing thank you it's been really fun I'm, and I really am enjoying what you guys are doing and love how you're bringing readers and writers together and it's so intimate I love that you're connecting that connecting people in that way oh great well thank you so much we're happy to do it we have thank a good you. time yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We'll wrap it up there. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine, edited by J.W. McAteer. All stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, 
We are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.